All right, I'm Dave Mitchell, if you haven't figured that out. Oh, it's on the screen. There you go. So excited to, to be with you this morning. It's all going to be about love. Love. Uh, in our planning session last Tuesday morning, I said, as I walk up here, I'd like to have some Barry White music playing. And, but I was vetoed, so that's why it's just me. But uh, we wanted to set the groundwork on something so important to us as we go through the book of First John. We find this theme of true life, real love, and this morning the focus is going to be all about finding real love. I'm going to read the scripture for us, and I'll set it up. We're, we're in First John chapter 3, and if you have your Bible, I invite you to have it open to that. I also invite you to take the Bible that's in the chair rack in front of you. It's an opportunity to uh, have a Bible of your own. If you don't have one, you can take that home, and that can be your Bible, free of charge from us. We're glad to have, hand those out. First John chapter 3, John, this wonderful godly man that walked and lived with Jesus, saw the resurrected Jesus, wrote the Gospel of John, wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, so he's a significant man in God's kingdom work, and so we're excited to hear from him. So John writes to us in 1st John 3:11, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth. We will sure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. Beloved of our heart does not condemn us. We have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. This is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He commanded us. The one who keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in Him. We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. So there's a lot there. We're going to unpack it. You have an outline that's in the bulletin. You can use that. It'll help you kind of get a structure and a flow of where we're going. And uh, perhaps if those uh, little moments of uh, mind drift occur, it'll help you get right back on track as to where we are. But we're going to talk about love this morning. You know, there's a lot of things that are kind of easy to love. It's, it's not like you need someone to command you to love. Look at a cute little adorable legless dog like this that uh, is just so precious that you just uh, love to... A hug, and then of course a little cute little kitten. Who who couldn't lo love a cute little thing like that? Well, some of you maybe I don't know. And of course uh, you got the cute little baby. He's just huggable, lovable, and just so precious. And you get the dog, a little stink eye thing going on there with the one dog. I don't know what's going on, but there's just precious, beautiful things. And of course, 31 flavors. Who wouldn't want that? So there's lots of stuff. So it, does anybody need a command to love those things? We just want to do it. We, it's something inside of us that comes out of us. The challenge is that there's not all out there that's easy to love. Should we love one another? Does that include Hitler? Love him? What about these guys? 
ISIS in the Middle East. When John says, love one another, did he have in mind these people? And then again, there is nutcase Charles Manson. Some woman married him. It's crazy. But you say, wow, is that what he had in mind, that I'm supposed to love one another? And then occasionally, there's this guy that thinks he's so special with his little Honda Fit that he's got to park it parallel to two spots so nobody dings it. Tell him it's just a Honda Fit. He's so irritating. And then there's this couple that you sort of are in front of and behind of. I say, what's wrong with people? And then you're going down the 55 freeway and someone cuts you off. And you just want to scream at them. So there are situations that God is calling us into, and the command is very basic. We are called to love one another. That's the command. That's not questionable. John says in verse 11, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. This is not a new thing. We know it's not a new thing. It's from the very beginning. Beginning of time, certainly the beginning of Jesus' ministry. John records in John 13 that uh, you'll know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Wash the disciples' feet. He's very, very much a model for us. This is not a new concept that we should love one another. So I had to ask and answer even myself this question. Does anyone not know that we're supposed to love one another? How many of you, this is like a brand new truth, and you've never heard this before, and wow, what an insight, Dave. This is brand new stuff for me. This is going to change my life. Well, I don't see any hands except my own. And so we know that this is, this is basic stuff that we understand. And so this forced me to ask a second question. So why do we sometimes fail to love one another? If we all know this, I mean, we could all go home right now. Or we could go to a VBS training right now. Because you don't need me to stand up here for another 40 minutes and tell you you're supposed to love someone. You know that. So why don't we do it? I asked, why don't I always do it? Where's the breakdown? So that's where John helps us. He gives us the command that you've heard this from the very beginning that you're supposed to love one another. And then he gives us an illustration of someone who did not love his own brother Abel. That's Cain. So John then goes on to the very next verse in verse 12. Not as Cain. Love one another, but not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Why did he not love Abel? What's wrong with him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. You're broken from God. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. That's pretty heavy. That's what Jesus said. John repeats it. That's how severe it is to hate someone. It's like murdering them. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. You're probably not even born again saved if you hate someone so as to murder them in your heart. And so we see here a negative example. A little bit later we'll see that Jesus is a positive example. And so as I examine this, I wanted to come up with some reasons why we don't love people when we know we're supposed to love people and you don't need someone like me to tell you you're supposed to love people. And so John then uses the illustration of Cain. Well, Cain is found in Genesis chapter 4. If you want to read that, I'm going to read from the text. Remind ourselves of the storyline that's taking place here. The Garden of Eden is already has sin in it. Adam and Eve 
are bearing children. First child is named Cain. Second child is named Abel. And here is what happens. In Genesis chapter 4, And the man, Adam, had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she says, I've gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. She says, this is a gift of God. I know that God has done this for me. So there's some sort of restored thing between Eve and God and Adam and God. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, and Cain was a tiller of the ground. It's fine. One worked with animals, one works with the ground. Both of them great occupations and professions. And so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Somehow God instructed these two boys, I want you to worship me. And he gave them some kind of guidelines and instructions that we don't know about. So they knew to do that. So Cain brought his from the fruit of the ground. Abel on his part brought from the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. So he brings the first of his animal flock, some lamb that he brings, and he sacrifices that. This is long before Moses was given commands to how to worship the Lord. So some of God had given to them special revelation to know how to worship him. And then it says about Abel's offering. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. The Lord highly esteemed the offering that Abel brought. That was a good thing. And the but of verse 5 is challenging. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. He was dismissive of it. He didn't want it. He wasn't honored by it. And so Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and the desire is for you, but you must master it. So Cain told his brother. I don't know what he told his brother. We don't know. I suspect it's something like God has loved your offering better than mine. I'm sick and tired of you being the special one and me being the rejected one. And so in his anger, in his depression, he then acts out of that frustration. And it came about that while they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So John... He's telling you and me we should love one another. And then he's thinking to himself, and the Spirit of God tells him, use Cain and Abel as a negative illustration as to why we don't always love people the way we're supposed to love people. So I wanted to drill down on that little story because maybe there's some insights there that can help me, maybe help you, as to why we don't always love the way we're supposed to love. Because again, it's a no-brainer. Everybody knows. Love one another. Here are the four reasons why we don't always love one another. Genesis 4.4, again to repeat, the Lord had regard for Abel and his, for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard, so Cain became very angry, and then it says his countenance fell. When you're, anger, you're an angry person, you bury that inside, you become depressed. His countenance fell. That's Cain. The first thing that I noticed about why Cain didn't love Abel, and frankly, sometimes why I don't love people the way I should, is because of this wounded heart when I feel and suffer under the sense of rejection. Cain is going through this terrible rejection, feeling rejected by God himself. Because God loved Abel's offering, but God had no regard for Cain's offering. And that sense of rejection is a, is a powerful poison 
that damages hearts, and sometimes it comes out of various ways. Often it's, it's from our fathers. You know, as a, as a dad, I've had the blessing to watch my children already go through the teenage years and praise God they're beyond the teenage years. Because when they go through the teenage years, they're always twice as smart as we are. And they know better than us. And sometimes when our daughters would date someone and I'd look at who they're dating and I'd think to myself, why, oh Lord, why are you cursing me with this guy? (laughs) Because we get so frustrated because we really do know better. We really do. They don't think we do, but we really do. Here's a little clip from uh, Dan in real life about a dad trying to help his daughter not hang out with a guy that he doesn't want her to be with and what happens that comes out of that. Here's a clip. Come say goodbye. Window. I miss you okay, so that's much, it. Dad. She'll see him again soon enough. That's sweet. What's sweet? How? How's that sweet? To be that certain to feel so much love. Love isn't a feeling. No. It's an ability. Well, if that's true, you you have one gifted daughter. Sound familiar to anybody out there? You are a murderer of love. When you feel like you're being rejected by your own dad and not getting what you want, that's a painful thing. And you feel like this is, this is a disaster. What she doesn't get, I'm telling you, here's, here's, here's the old guy in me. Kids in high school can't possibly know what it means to love someone. They just aren't there yet. I just don't believe it. So they have a long ways to go. Help them get beyond the murdering of love. But here is the challenge for you and for me. When we go through a period of time where we have wounds that come from feelings of rejection, we have a really tough time loving someone out of that. Often it can be from a dad who has done things in the past that has caused a deep wound within a child, and that child has a brokenness, a perspective that is lost, an inability to relate, a woundedness that corrupts a capacity to love someone the way John says when loving one another should take place. When that wound settles in and I feel rejected by my own parents, I feel rejected by God, I just can't love the way I'm supposed to. That's what happens to Cain. He feels rejected by God. He spirals into an anger. It devalues into a depression. And then he acts out in a destructive way against his own brother. And when you and I feel rejected by somebody significant in our lives, there's a brokenness of our capacity to do what God tells us to do. Sometimes it may be a boss that fires me. It may be a neighbor that rejects me. It may be a spouse that has injured me through infidelity or divorce. And I feel this rejection, and and there's an incapacity within me 
to not to do what God... So you'd get somebody up here like me saying, well, you're supposed to love them. I can't love them. If you knew what they had done in terms of the hurt that they've created, you'd know I can't love them. And so there's this sense of wound that sometimes comes within us. And it's, it's painful. You know, I was uh, uh, in my office just thinking about this. I, I don't file in my office. I pile in my office. And some of you are like that. You're, there's filers and there's pilers. So I have piles of paper that goes back for decades, which is just ridiculous because I think someday I may need that. And so I have piled all these things on my filing cabinets. Well, just a couple of weeks ago, I was moving a filing cabinet and a bunch of these piles of paper in their manila folders came crashing to the ground and just splattered all over the place. So you got papers over there. And for about three weeks, every so often I'd look over at that pile of that mess of papers and like, someday I should clean that up. But I just, I've got other things that are, I think are more important than picking up pieces of paper. So I just let it lay there. And then this, finally this last week, I finally said, you know, I need to do something about it. This is ridiculous. So I started picking up those little piles that had fallen. And I began to look, what is this stuff? I, it's been years since I've looked at it. I had to blow the dust off the top piece of paper. I began looking at the papers that were in that file that had fallen. And it turns out they were letters. They were letters from people here at Calvary Church. They were letters that were written something like 15 years ago. And then, why do I still have this? So I, I began to read what those letters said. And i tell you what I read. I read things that says, Dave, what's wrong with you? Why are you doing this? You're crazy. What's wrong with the elder board? And the began, there were letters that just sort of assaulted our character and our manhood, if you will, and our Christian calling because there was a lot of pain that was coming out of these letters because they didn't like something we were doing at the time. And all that, as I read those letters, oh, I remember him. Oh, I remember her. Oh, I remember the first time I heard that. And you know what happened? I had these flashbacks, my post-traumatic stress flashbacks, and I'm not just making a joke there. I felt that. And I sort of relived those moments of pain and rejection by people that were in essence, they told me, we're firing you. And they did, and they left. And so I replayed those letters in my mind this, this last week. And then I had to get up and preach about love one another. And I'm thinking to myself, that's just simply not fair. Because I love to love the things that love me back. But man... When you feel rejected by people, you don't want to waste the time trying to love them. And so I had to pray in my own mind, God, help me to love these people. Help me to have capacity to do what, frankly, in my own carnal human nature, I don't want to do that. And I bet we all have a pile of something that makes it difficult to love those that have rejected and wounded our hearts. That's a breakdown. That's a barrier. And we need help to get us beyond that barrier so we can live it out. And we'll talk more about that. 
The second barrier that happens is in Hebrews 11.4. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. What's going on from Hebrews translating and, and interpreting what happened with Genesis 4 that John's talking about is that Abel did offer a better sacrifice. Was it better because it was animal versus vegetable? I don't think so because John says... Cain was of the evil one. So when Cain brought his offering to the Lord there in Genesis 4, it wasn't because it was from the ground. It was because it was from a corrupted heart. And out of that evil one heart, he brought a less than good sacrifice. But Cain didn't care. What Cain cared about was the fact that God chose Abel, but he rejected Cain. And Cain looks over at Abel, and they go out in the field, and they have this discussion. And I'm sure what was on Cain's heart was a sense that you're the chosen one. I'm the rejected one. And so what Cain is doing, he is comparing himself to Abel, and he's seen in Abel something he wished that he had in his own heart. So the barrier that sometimes we have is a sense of jealousy and resentment as we compare ourselves with others that have something I wish I had, or they don't have something, cancer, disease, lost job, that I wish I didn't have. So we go through this comparison thing, and it makes it hard to love them. I remember the very first church I was at when I came out of seminary, and uh, we were struggling. The church had gone through a split and they had fired the previous pastor. And that's pretty much my resume for going to a church. And so I went there and there was another new pastor in town as well. So we'd meet. And he is of another local church there in the area. And then one day he told me, and I didn't know this until he told me, he said, you know, we have some of the best people in our church that came from your church, who left your church and came to our church. We think we got some of the best leadership out of your church for our church. And when he said that, it broke my heart. I said, wasn't I good enough? Why didn't they want to be with me? Why didn't they want to be with us? Why would they leave us to go with this new church? New, exciting, not old and stodgy and lots of tradition and history to it. And so it made it difficult. I'll be honest with you. We'd get together every so often for lunch. And I'm telling you, I still play that in my mind. When I sat down with him, it was hard for me to be open and loving and gracious because I'm thinking, you stole some of our best people. I resent you for that. <laughs> Not that he did it, but it feel, felt that way. And so we have these sense, I'm jealous of him. That was my problem. I was jealous of him. He had a better thing going than I did. I was struggling. And he had the, really the cream of the crop of leadership. And so I'm telling you these things because I know that that's the world in which we live. And these are the challenges that we will face. And that when God calls us to love one another, we're going to have to love people that we compare ourselves to that, frankly, I'm jealous of and I'm resentful towards. And it makes it difficult. But God says, still, I call you to love those people. And that's really hard to do. I'm just telling you, it's hard to do. I know that's hard to do. And whoever it is that you may be dealing with in that same kind of a way, that's a barrier. Admit it. It took me a long time to admit I'm just jealous. It's my problem. God bless them in their ministry. What, what's, it's my problem, not their problem. And I need to honestly assess that, confess that, make it right with God. 
and move beyond it. The third area that sometimes causes us to break down our love for others, where John says, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Fascinating that John launches this command that we've heard from the beginning that we're supposed to love one another, and then he twists it all around and says, well, by the way, the world's going to hate you. Don't be shocked at that. So why is he telling me the world's going to hate me after he told me that I should love one another? Because he wants to set us up and realize that not everybody's going to be as loving to me as I am supposed to be loving to them. Not everybody that I love will I get a return on the investment. But John is saying simply because they hate you, it doesn't mean you, therefore, don't need to love them. And that's what makes the Christian life challenging. Because life is not fair as a Christian. There's no equity as a Christian. You just love regardless of the return. So thirdly, the barrier of hatred and hurt by others can cause us to fail to love in ways we're supposed to love. And that's, that's an awful place to be. You know, I, again, personal, I'll just keep, keep it in my zone. A few years ago, I had a couple uh, come up to me in the lobby out there. And they came up to me, and the first thing they said to me is, uh, do you remember us? And I'm telling you as a pastor, um, that's, a hard, that's a hard one, okay? Because I, uh, you know, familiar, I don't really know, but... I said, uh, help me out with this. And then they began to describe and told me their names. And then it all came back. Oh, yeah. I know you. And the back story is this. This couple had sat me down many years ago in my first church. And for two and a half hours, some of you have heard this, for two and a half hours they told me why I'm not qualified and I'm not called to the ministry, and I better find another line of work. But for two and a half hours, they did sort of a spiritual autopsy. It felt like, it felt like an autopsy, like a literal one. Because my heart was crushed after they told me all the things that I was doing wrong. And I just couldn't believe it. And so that was the last... So I, after two and a half hours, I left their... That was in their living room. I left their living room. We walked, I walked out and headed home and... Joy and I had a long debrief on that. And then the very next time I saw them was many years later, right out there in the lobby, and they showed up here. And they said, do you, know, do you remember who we are? And when I heard their name, I remembered who they were. And here's how I felt. My knees got stiff. My neck got stiff. And I just could barely eke out a smile because I'm thinking to myself, even as they, they're, they're treating me like I'm a long-lost friend, like I'm the greatest guy around. I thought, what's wrong with this? And so even as they were going on about, so, how great to be here to see you again, we, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking to myself, don't you remember the last time we were together? Don't you remember what you told me? Don't you understand how devastating that was? How hurtful? And in some ways, completely unfair and inaccurate. Shouldn't you be apologizing to me? I'm thinking to myself, I'm playing all that in my mind even as they're going on about how great they and their family are doing and how wonderful it is to see me again. So I'm being honest with you. When I was going through that experience with them and they came here and showed up out of nowhere and suddenly 
flashback to the scenario. And when I saw what John was writing about here, my ability to love was diminished at that point. I would like to say I could love them the way Jesus loves them, but in that moment, I was having a real tough go. I think God is helping me move beyond that because we're all supposed to be growing. But I just want to let you know that when John says love one another, he's also recognizing that you and I are going to have people that will wound us with rejection, that will create resentment and jealousy through comparison, that will cause pain and injury through hatred and hurt that makes it very hard for us to live this out in the real world in which we live. Because we're not all surrounded by cute little kittens and precious little babies in ice cream cones. There are those people that John points out, like Cain, that make life tough. And so the last thing is this. Why do I have a barrier? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. You know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And then Genesis 4, Cain, God says to him, Sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. And it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So why did Cain kill his brother? Because he feels rejected. Because he's comparing, comparing through resentment and jealousy. Because he's feeling this wound and this hurt in his heart. And he can't love in a heart like that. So sin is crouching at the door and it's going to master you, Cain. So here's the fourth barrier. The barrier is that I have no capacity to love some people that God brings and allows into my life because I have a broken relationship with God. There are so many people that just don't give a whit about what I'm talking about right now because they just have a broken, unforgiven heart before God. And God died for them, died for you with Jesus Christ's blood so that He could repair what's broken in here so I could love those out there. And I'm telling you, I know that there are marriages that are failing because there are husbands and or wives that don't have a healthy, growing, spiritual vitality with Jesus Christ. And that's the core. That's what God's talking about here. That's what he's going on. If you're a hater, you're a murderer. If you're a murderer, you don't have eternal life. So that's the reason I can't love some people because, frankly, my heart is not right with God. And there's not a healing, a spiritual redemption and deliverance from all these wounds that have been in my life. And I praise God that he gave me parents that I've had and that I've come to faith in Christ and that even when I encounter people like these people that I've just mentioned, that as hard as it is in that moment, God begins to give grace to love in ways that I didn't think I could. That's when it counts. Loving one another to the sweet little kitten, easy. But they're not all that way. So he gives us this advice. So how are we to call to love? We're called to love sacrificially. We know this. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's how we're supposed to love. Sacrificially love. Jesus gave His life. We should give our lives. One of the things I like to do, uh, and don't always do it, but in a wedding, when the bride and the groom are at the front, and I'll read Ephesians 5, and it talks about the groom, the husband should love wife like Christ loves the church. How did the Christ love the church? He died for the church. So I like to say to the groom, as the groom standing before his wife-to-be and all of his family and her parents, 
Now say to the groom, do you love your wife the way Christ loves the church? Absolutely. Well then, would you be willing to die for your wife? Now what's he going to say? Is he going to say no to that? <laughs> We're going to kick him out of the room if he says no to that. Of course, it's a trick question, of course. So he said, oh yeah, I'll die for my wife. And I said, well, that's great because then anything less than dying for your wife should be easy, right? Yeah. Well, then would you be willing to do the laundry for your wife? Would you be willing to vacuum the living room floor for your wife? Would you put gas in a car rather than leaving it uh, barely on empty when you get out and she has to get into it next? Well, then he really starts sort of sweating and he gets a little more nervous. Yeah, I'll do that. Well, we got you on record now. Because it's tough. I tell you, even with me, uh, just this morning, I got up out of bed. You know one of the things I do when I go to bed? I, I take off. Well, you don't want to hear about that. But I change. I change. And I leave my, my underwear and my socks right by the side of the bed on the floor. And sometimes I'll go several days and pile those things up. I've gone a whole week with a pile of of dirty underwear and stuff. Well, not, they're not that dirty, but you know what I mean. They've been worn. And here's the killer for me. So that's a little pile sitting right there. And you know how far the, the clothes hamper is? It's like three feet from there. I can't just get up. It's, it's a mental block for me. It's constant. I can't get up there and put that into the little clothes hamper right over there. What's wrong with me? If I told Joy I'm willing to die for you, why can't I do that? And God bless my wife, Joy. If I don't put it in the hamper, she didn't get it for me either. I had to do it. I could have a month's worth of dirty clothes sitting there, and she's not picking it up. She's not washing it. I may even have reruns on right now. I'm not sure. And so there are those times where we, we need to do what we need to do. And frankly, we say we'll die for someone. We hardly pick up our dirty clothes for, for someone we say we love with all of our life. And... Well, we, I, I actually had somebody confess after first service that he does it too. So I felt we we're going to start a little support group for those of us. <laughs> well, the other thing is serving others with good deeds and not just good works. We know this, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Come on. If you get the capacity to love, you have the, the means to love, the resources to love, then just love. You don't need somebody to preach at you for 40 minutes or 50 minutes and make that happen. So little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Just do the job of loving. Enough with the talk. Put it into action. That's what John's talking about. We know this. That's what's so great about Vacation Bible School coming up. What did Matt say? We need like 15 more adults. If you're an adult in this room, and you've got any time this week, would you love these kids? 1,200 kids are going to be on our campus. Would you love them indeed? Indeed? I'm looking forward. I'm in the prayer evangelism room with a bunch of other people. And what a blessing this to sit down with these kids and just share the gospel openly and pray with many of them. It's a wonderful thing. So we need to do that. Now here's something that's in your bulletin. You have in your bulletin this uh, little uh, piece of paper, and it's got little uh, stickets. So I'm going to take, would you take that out of the bulletin that you got this morning? 
And uh, each of those little stickers, they're little peel-off stickers. It may be evident right from the get-go. But if you just bend it, you'll see the little edge. You can pull it off. And what I'd like for you to do is those are all things from 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is the definition of love. How to put love into action. Action steps. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. See, I was jealous of the, the guy way back a long time ago, the other pastor. Love uh, does, is not arrogant, does not boast. Those are actions of love. So I want to invite you to do something right now. Would you take those and look over that? Which of those are you best at? Work in the area of your strength. For me, the two, the beginning of the end are my best ones. Love is patient. Love is perseverance. I will persevere with the best of them out there. I may not be as good in some of the other areas, but I love to persevere and just get through it and get it done. What I want you to do is to think about who do you, uh, who should you express that gift to, and which is your best expression of love. And then would you share that with your neighbor? I'm going to take two minutes, just two minutes, for you to share with your neighbor. This is my strength, and this is the reason why. We just do that right now. Just kind of work it into your kind of your psyche right now. Okay, let's wrap it up. Thank you. I just want to get you, tee you up. I want you to see those little stickers. And one thing you could do is say, Lord, this week I want to work on this attribute or this character trait of love. Peel that off and stick it on your phone, stick it on your computer, your iPad, somewhere on your car, somewhere you see it regularly. And then say, God, help me to do that today. Let that be my priority today. Then the next week, take off another sticker. And let that be. That way it begins to build God's Word into your heart, in our hearts, so that we actually live what we say we live, loving one another. And God might bring a cane into your world, but you'll have a greater capacity to respond in a healthy way. Now there are benefits that we're just going to, I'm just going to mention them. There are benefits to loving other people that John then talks about. One is a heart of confidence and assurance. We know by this that we are of the truth we will assure our heart before Him and whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart. When I'm loving people, I, I don't worry about the condemnation. They may condemn me. They may hate me. But God, I'm doing what you call me to do. So there's this peaceful assurance that we have. Our heart is assured before God. It's a more per- powerful prayer life. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. The Lord loves it when we love people, especially the canes of the world, especially those who have wounded us, those that we're jealous of, those that we have been hurt or have hated us in the past. God says, I am so honored by your love. And I love to hear your requests. I'm blessed to respond to the prayers you ask from me. Oh, my loving child, I am so pleased. That's God. That's what he's saying. And then finally, you're spiritually enriched and renewed. The one who keeps his commandment abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us. And 
whom he has, in the spirit whom he has given. Let me wrap it up with a little story I heard. There's a woman that is in a church in Southern California here. Her pastor encountered her um, after one of the services because she was up front praying and crying. So I asked, what's going on? How can I help you? She told her story, and this is her story. She and her husband would often do things with their best friends, another husband and another wife. They go to movies, they go to dinner, they just do all that kind of stuff together. And after a while, she began to get a little suspicious because of the interplay between her husband and her best girlfriend, the wife of this other man. Well, over the course of time, cut to the chase, it turns out her husband was having an affair with her very best friend. And she was devastated by that, of course. As a result, she divorced her husband, was broken over that. But here's the remarkable thing about this Christian woman. She says, my husband, the other husband, and my girlfriend, none of them were believers in Jesus. But I maintained a relationship with the woman, the other woman of my husband's affair. And she went out of her way to love her because she said she needs the love of God in her heart, and she doesn't have it. And so she continued to love on this woman and care for her and be kind to her, amazingly enough. And as a result of all of that spiritual witness that built into this other woman, the other affair woman, here is what that other woman then finally said to her one day. There's something about you. I've got to have whatever you have because I know you knew it was me in the affair. You, I know that you knew it was me, and yet you still witnessed to me. I want to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he told her. When God calls us out to love even the most unlovable people, it's not because he wants to torture us and create havoc in our lives, and make us miserable. It's because God knows in Romans 2.4 that God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's the love we express to others that draws others to the love of God. And that's the highest calling for you and for me. So I invite you into that world of loving those that are hard to love along with those that are easy to love. That we would be that ever-living witness for the person of Jesus Christ for Him to give them capacity to love the way He's given it to us. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to have the tables, the communion, the bread, the cup. It symbolizes the blood and the body of Jesus. If you're right with Jesus Christ, come and take those elements. The offering basket to express your love in a tangible way, to give. And then I'm going to be over here at the prayer point. We'll hopefully have somebody over here at the prayer point. And if you'd like to pray about some of these issues in your heart and your life, or maybe have a beginning with Jesus Christ where He changes you and gives you capacity that you didn't have otherwise, we'd love to do that. Let me pray as we worship together. Help us, Father, as we come before You and call upon You for Your strength and Your help and Your provision. Lord, You call us into this world where sometimes we will be hated and sometimes we will be wounded. But, Father, I pray that we would be those people that have a capacity to love beyond what we ever could in our own strength. Father, guide us with that, empower us with that. The spirit that you said would abide in us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.